Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11. Matthew, chapter 11, continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 today. I've entitled today's message, Wrestling with Doubt and Confusion. Wrestling with Doubt and Confusion. Let's take a look at verse 1, and that will serve as an introduction setting our context for us. Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples, that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Jesus has just finished speaking to his twelve disciples, who he is now sending out as twelve apostles. He's given them ministry instructions for this short-term mission trip that he's getting ready for them to go on. They'll be back and telling him of the details. But uh, now that he has sent them away, he himself also goes out and preaches in the cities surrounding Galilee. So in this way, he is kind of dividing and conquering. They, he sends his disciples out and he also going out to preach and teach in the city. So this is the phase of Jesus's ministry that we come to. And during this time that Jesus is going out to preach, a couple of disciples of John the Baptist come and meet up with Jesus, and they have questioned for him. They've been sent by John. Pick that up with me now in verse 2. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. We learn in verse 2 that John the Baptist is in prison. We will find out later in our study of Matthew chapter 14 will give us uh, greater detail as to how John ended up there and of course what his ultimate fate would be. But we know this, that Herod was the acting governor of Galilee during this time. And Herod was uh, visiting his brother Philip in Rome. And while he was there, he seduced his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. And so he takes his brother's wife back to Galilee with him and then divorces his wife there and now has unlawfully married his brother's wife. Well, John the Baptist, of course, he was preaching during that time, and he was preaching the kingdom, he was preaching repentance, and he spoke out against this governor's immoral relationship and the, and the sin that he was committing. So much so that it came to Herod's attention, and Herod, he wanted to kill him, but instead, at, at least for this time, he decided he would just put him in prison and just try to silence his voice. He wanted to kill him, but he knew that many of the people saw him as a prophet and he didn't want to create a political problem for himself, but he wanted to silence him. So John is now in prison. It's estimated by this time that John sends his disciples to ask Jesus the question that he's been in prison for up to one year. And of course, we know and we'll find out in Matthew 14, John would eventually give his life. But he sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah? You see, John is wrestling with doubt and confusion about Jesus. He's been locked up in prison. It's more like a dungeon. 
And he's not able to go and see and, and witness the ministry of Jesus. He's not able to firsthand see what Christ is doing and teaching. He's hearing about him. But with his own circumstance, so uncertain, he's wondering, is this the one? And so he sends his disciples to ask, are you the one? Now, we know that earlier John the Baptist had no doubt about Jesus being the one. I won't, I don't, you don't need to turn to this, and, and I won't have this one for you on the overhead. But, but listen to John chapter 1 and verse 29. When John, when, this is describing when John originally met and baptized Jesus. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Speaking of Jesus, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have, been, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. John had no question that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the coming one. He was the one that John himself had been called to prepare the way for. But now, now in this setting of prison, he's wondering, was I right? Did I miss it? Is Jesus the one? Did I somehow miscalculate God's plan and even his calling? John would say of this Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. But now he has real doubt and confusion. Jesus, John did believe that he was the Messiah, but now because of circumstance, he's troubled. And this speaks to all of us, doesn't it? Aren't there times when all of us as believers wrestle with doubt and confusion? I want us to consider some things that were going on in John's life and, and identify at least three things that I believe caused him to come to this place of doubt. And I think they're the same kinds of things that that attack our heart, our faith, our doubt, our, the things that we wrestle with. And of course, they relate one to another. They overlap. But I, I've identified at least three things. Difficult circumstance, discouragement and disappointment, difficult and hard circumstance. As I mentioned, John was in prison and prison in John's day was more like a dungeon than a real prison cell. You remember John the Baptist, he was kind of a, an outdoorsman, wasn't he? He lived out in the desert. This is a man who was used to coming and going as he pleased, living out in the country, no doubt sleeping under the beautiful stars out there in the, in the desert. And now he is confined and in this hard place. Just, just the, the circumstance of his living conditions were difficult and challenging. And it's been a year it's not like a short stay. He's been holed up now for at least a year. And no doubt he's wondering, why is God allowing this? You know, I've been serving the Lord. I've been living for him. I've got ministry out there. My ministry was fruitful. We were baptizing by the thousands. I'm supposed to be preparing the way for the Messiah. I thought Jesus was the Messiah, but now I'm here in prison. I can't even get out there and do the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe he's not the Messiah. 
Maybe, maybe I'm going to get out later and there's another one coming. All of these questions are now coming up in John's heart. And it's just because of the difficult circumstance that he now finds himself in. If Jesus is the one, then why isn't he even trying to work me to get out of this place? Because certainly he could help. And in our own lives, I think we would acknowledge that difficult times, difficult circumstance come in many forms. It can be financial challenge. It can be job related. It can be family. It can be relationships. It can be marriage. It can be health. So many ways where we find ourselves in circumstances that are difficult and hard. And it comes sometimes through different, different reasons. Sometimes it's a spiritual attack. Spiritual forces of darkness working against our lives to discourage and, and, and snuff out our faith. Sometimes it's just the result of our own choices that we end up in difficult circumstances. Sometimes we're in difficult places because of the, re- the results of other people's choices. And to be honest with you, sometimes it's just life. It's just the way life seems to go. There are hard times. And these are the times that are hard to, for us to understand when we're in a difficulty, especially when it lasts longer than we were anticipating, especially when it seems to be going on and on. We begin to, to wonder, why is God allowing this? Why isn't God resolving this situation for me? This is exactly where John is. And he's, he's experiencing those doubts and confusing thoughts, doubting the love of God. Why is this happening? Why are my prayers not bringing change? Am I confused about God's will? Could this really be his plan? Really, Lord, is this what you want for me? Certainly, John was wrestling with that, and I'm sure you and I can relate. The other reason that we see John doubting and confusing Uh, Confused is the area of discouragement. Now, discouragement comes when we, in our best and most sincere efforts to do what we believe is right and good and even maybe ministry oriented and following after the Lord, and it seems to be producing no real change. That's when you get discouraged. You're working on something. You're, tr- you're moving towards something. You're trying to see God accomplish something in your life. And it just seems like you're spinning your wheels. Think of how John must have felt in this moment. He's no longer able to go out there and minister. The very thing that he's called to, the very thing that he's known from a childhood, in his mother's womb, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He knows that this is his purpose, is to preach, to prepare the way. And none of that can take place while he's in prison. And he must have wondered, is my, am I even called? Did I even understand what my life is supposed to be about? Because, you know, I thought by now in my preaching, as the, as the nation would be repenting, as the people would be wanting to turn their hearts back to the Lord, that, that, that they, certainly uh, th- I wouldn't be in this place. But it seems like nobody's coming to my aid. No one really cares about me being here. Herod's having his way. Is my ministry even making a difference? Is my life even counting for anything? John must have wrestled with these thoughts. And of course, it caused him to wonder, was I wrong about Jesus? Is he really the one? And I'm sure you can relate to discouragement. It comes when your best efforts seem to fail. When even your ministry and service unto the Lord seems to not bear fruit. 
Have you been praying and praying for something and nothing seems to be changing? Have you stepped out and, and trying to really grow in the Lord and pursue the Lord and find that you're just not making headway and you wonder if it's even making a difference? Have you poured your life into something that you thought the Lord had led you to and now it seems to be a complete waste? There are times in our life that we can't really see the fruit of our labor. It's just the reality. There are times where in our, our labor in the Lord is not seen yet in this life. Jesus said, store up treasure in heaven. Some of the things that, that we want to see happen today, honestly, you may not see them until you're with him in glory. And it's just the nature of ministry. It's the nature sometimes of serving the Lord. Don't you know that's what, where John was? Some of the fruit of his ministry would not be seen in his lifetime. But think about the fruit of his ministry today. Think about all that he has affected. Think about the gospel writers and how you know, his testimony speaks even to us this morning. His labor was not in vain. And you know, I think as I meet with pastors, I go to pastors' fellowships on a fairly regular basis. And, and this discouragement is one of the most common enemies that pastors have to wrestle with. Things happen in the ministry. Or things don't happen in the ministry. You doubt your calling. You wonder if you're making a difference. Surely you can relate to that. This is where John is. And this is why the doubts and the, and the, and the wondering are coming from. The third thing that I think John is definitely wrestling with is disappointment. And disappointment comes when God doesn't fulfill our expectations. John had an expectation of the Messiah. John knew the prophecies concerning the coming one. And what John had anticipated, like many of the disciples of Jesus, and truthfully, most of Israel in that day, the Messiah they were looking for would not only be a, a, a spiritual renewal, but would be a national and political ruler. They were looking for the Messiah who would bring about a national deliverance, restoring Israel as a nation, throwing off. The, the, the yoke and oppression of the Roman Empire. They were looking for someone to bring back the nation in its glory. And of course, that's not the purpose of Jesus' first coming. His first coming was actually to be that suffering servant. John was looking for a spiritual and a national leader. And truthfully, Jesus did not fill his expectation. And now he wonders, is this the one? Are you the one? Disappointment comes when God doesn't fulfill our expectations. And we, we thought for sure that, that God was going to do this. We had our hope built on these things. And we had our hope that he would do it in the way we thought he would do it. We had our hope built on the way, the timing that he would do it. And then when he doesn't come through the way we imagined, the way we thought, the way we anticipated, we were often left confused. I thought the Lord would have done this by now. It's been my experience that the Lord rarely does things exactly the way I anticipate. You know, just a, a most recent example here for us, you know, this whole church building uh, situation that we're in. You know, I thought by now we would have uh, 10 years up in this community. I thought by now God would have given us a more permanent home. But here we are. We're still renting. Now I'm, we're blessed. 
But in my own heart, in my own mind, you know, you you get your expectation. Well, maybe this is it. And the Lord begins to open doors and you begin to sense his favor and you begin to move towards it. And then all of a sudden it doesn't happen the way you thought. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? And you wonder, Lord, what's going on? Have I missed you? And I've got so many great plans for the Lord. I've got so many... I've got so many great ideas that I, I just know if he would do them, they would, it would, we would all be better off. Don't you have some of those great ideas? And what's, 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 up with, what's up with the Lord? He doesn't seem to be really that motivated to, to, come, to you know, come to his senses, right? <laughs> the Bible says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and that his ways are higher than our ways. Well, Jesus provides an answer here for us in in our text. Let me read it again. Verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What Jesus sends the disciples back with is go to, is this go tell John that the prophecies concerning the Messiah are being fulfilled today. He doesn't say, yes, I'm the coming one. Just go tell him not to worry. No, he says, no, go tell him what's happening through my ministry, because that is going to speak louder to him because he's going to be, be able to anchor that in the promises of the prophecies. Jesus, in a sense, brings John back to the foundation of the word of God. I'm the one, not because I say I'm the one. I'm the one because these events are taking place. John, just as you know, the prophets have declared. He anchors John back in the word of God. And that's the place where all of us have to come to find stability of faith. When doubt and confusion arise, when our faith and expectation is, is anchored on the circumstance, it's, it's going to be a rough ride. You're going to have to bring it back to the things that you know to be true in the word of God. You see, John, though he knew the prophecies while he's in prison, he doesn't get to see all of these things being fulfilled. So in one sense, he's blind to what's going on. And so Jesus is informing him, listen, the very things that you know to be true, they are being accomplished by my ministry. Jesus would say in John 10, 25, the works that I do in my father's name, they bear witness of me. John, remember the prophets and understand that they're being fulfilled right now in your time. And this is where all of us have to find trust. All of us have to bring our faith back to the promises of God. Let me ask you something. Has God promised that you would never have a difficult circumstance? Then why do you act like he's really just not doing well if you find yourself in a difficult circumstance? Is that something that he promised in this life? Has he promised that we would see immediate and fruitful results in this life for all of our service and ministry to him? Is that what he promised? No. Didn't Jesus say some things are stored in heaven? Didn't Paul say that some rewards are crowns yet to come? But we act like, you know, now. I, look, I, went, I, I prayed today, and so tomorrow 
where's the where's the fruit? Where's I, you know I I want the ministry to to give immediate kind of feedback to me. All my service to the Lord, I want it to be quick and fast. Let me ask you this: Has He promised to do things the way you expect and anticipate? Is that His promise? I'm here just to do your command. I'm here to fulfill all your great ideas. No, he's not promised those things. But I want you to know that he has given you precious and magnificent promises. The promises of God are so much better than the promises we wish he had made. Aren't you, aren't you glad that he hasn't done everything you thought was a good idea in some of your good ideas of the past? Thank you, Lord, for not answering that prayer. No, we're all in trouble if, 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 we, if we need God to do it our way. We need to submit and allow him to do it his way. You know, I could have pulled dozens of verses. I've just given a few here. I'll have them for you on the overhead. I just want to sow faith back into your heart. Look, listen to these passages. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Well, we think it's so strange, but Peter says, no, don't think it's strange as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And that's what John the Baptist was experiencing, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Don't you know that John the Baptist today, this morning, as we're gathered here, don't you know that he is glad with exceeding joy? Yes, he did have a trial. He did give his life for his faith. But today, he's enjoying the glory. Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is ultimately working good in your life and for your life? Romans 8.31 What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can separate us? Who can be, excuse me, who can be against us? Listen, here's the, here's the real proof of his love. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He came for you. He came for you by sending his own son. He sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. He delivered him up for us all. That's how you know he loves you. That's how you know he's with you. That's how, he know, that's how you know that no matter what the storm and the circumstance look like, but I know this, I know He came for me. He sent His Son to die on a cross for me. Romans 8.37, Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Boy, Paul gives an exhaustive list there. It covers it, doesn't it? That there's nothing that can separate you from God's love that he has for you in Christ. This is where you must anchor your confidence. This is where doubts are 
dispelled. This is where the, the confusion clears. We're reminded to know these promises. He says something else, and I think it's very noteworthy in Jesus' answer. He says this, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is the man who does not stumble because of me. Blessed is the man who is not offended by the kind of Messiah that I have come to be at this first advent. Blessed is the man who is not you know, distracted with what he thought my ministry would be, what he thought I would be doing. Blessed is that man who is, is willing to trust me and to receive my ministry even as I have planned it by the Father. You see, again, the kingdom was spiritual and not national. I'm not here, John, to fulfill your expectations. Not yet. You see, what John failed to see, and, and he was not alone, the disciples missed this. All of the, the uh, people of Israel missed, it, missed that, that Jesus first came to suffer the death of the cross to buy salvation for all the world, but he's promised to come again and to fulfill the second half of the messianic prophecies to become king and lord of all. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But that day isn't here yet, is it? That day exists in the hearts of those that have come to faith, but it's not in full measure yet today. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you've got to trust the Father, trust in me, don't be offended. Don't be confused. In time, all will be fulfilled, just as the word promises, every jot and every tittle. But not today, John. And I think this is a good word for our hearts today. Don't be offended with the way the Lord works. Don't, be, uh, don't get upset with God when he's not working in the way you wanted him to work or the way you anticipated he would work. Blessed is the man who's not offended by me. Be content to leave it in the Lord's hands. Even those things that you cannot understand. Chuck Smith used to have a saying, and I think it's appropriate for this, this passage. He says, don't give up what you know for what you don't know. There are certain things that you know. You know that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. You know that your sins are forgiven by grace through faith in Christ. You know that he's promised eternal life. You know that he's with you and will never forsake you. You know that he's good. You know that he loves you. You know that he's all powerful, that he's all wise, that he's all knowing. These are things you know. Don't give that up for the things you don't know. I don't understand why I'm going through this situation at work. Well, you don't know. I don't understand why my health is going this way and I can't, no matter how much I pray, I can't seem to figure out a way out of it. You don't know. I don't understand why my lost loved one, I pray and I pray and I pray and they just continue to be prodigal. You don't know. Listen, there are many things that we don't know. We don't understand. But don't give up what you do know because you don't have the answers yet to the things you don't know. That would be foolish to give away the truth that you have for the things that you just don't have yet. There will come a day when you will know. The Bible says that there's a day coming when we will know him in the same way that we are known. There is a fuller revelation yet to come. You are going to understand more 
in time. Hold on to what you know now and wait for what God has to reveal to you yet in the future. Now, I have to be honest with you. That's that has been my Christian experience. I don't know about you. I have found that some things they become very, very clear to me in time. Things that I was confused about in time. I see them. I know them. I understand them. But I would be honest with you this this morning as well. There are some things that remain a mystery to me. There are some things that I still don't understand, but I have come to this place. I trust him. Even in the things I don't yet know, I trust him. He's been faithful to me. He's been good to me. His word has proven itself to be true. He's changed my life. He's changed everything. Knowing Jesus has made all the difference for me. Sorry. This didn't happen in the first service. thought it would be okay. There are things we don't know. But thank God for the things we do know. Anchor your heart there. And I want you to be encouraged here. And we'll, we'll close in this, these last few verses today. I want you to be encouraged that, you know what, if you have doubts and confusion, guess what? You're in good company. So did John the Baptist. Listen to what Jesus now says to John the Baptist. Look with me, verse 7. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? But what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before me, your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. And he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus now commends John the Baptist, even though he's doubting, he's questioning, but Jesus affirms him and his ministry. He said, listen, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Was he out there just being a man pleaser? Was he out there adapting his doctrine to tickle the ears? Was he trying to be popular? Or did you see a man that was unclear in his message and conviction, not sure what he was told to preach? No, you saw a man that proclaimed the truth without compromise. That's why he's in prison. He saw a man who was relentless to speak the truth in love. Did you see go out to see a man that was in soft clothing? Was he wealthy or worldly minded? Was he self-indulgent or self-centered? No. You saw a man who gave himself to the Lord's calling. He sought first the kingdom of God in every way that he lived. Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, you did. But not just any prophet, a special prophet. The one given the unique and special task of preparing the way 
for Jesus. And in this, he ministered even in the spirit of Elijah. Jesus commends him. He he builds up the ministry of, of John the Baptist. But then he adds this, yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus speaks of a future blessing yet to come. As wonderful as John the Baptist's ministry and the character of the man, we can commend him. But he is living under the old covenant. You see, Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. Jesus had not yet been raised. Jesus speaks of a future kingdom based on a better covenant where all the children of God will be given the very righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus, I believe, is looking to the, the view of what salvation will bring. That in, when even the least of those that are saved under the new covenant, they will be seen as the very righteousness of God. A better blessing for those that will believe in faith through Christ. Romans 3.22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. What a blessing that God would give the very righteousness of himself through his son. But he speaks here also of the kingdom. And I have just a couple of thoughts here before I close. Notice again what he says in verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now, a lot of commentators wrestle with this passage. And just in my own study and reading, I I think the best understanding of this passage is this, that the kingdom of God is advancing, but it's advancing with great violent resistance. There is spiritual warfare. The kingdom of God is being resisted. This is why John the Baptist has been put in prison. This is why they're resisting Jesus. He's saying the kingdom advances, but it advances with intense spiritual warfare and force describing the way the kingdom of God will advance in the earth. It will not go unresisted. It will not go without spiritual warfare. It will be a battle. And those who take it must also be prepared to take it by force. In other words, those who enter must embrace with forceful sincerity and full heart commitment Coming to the Lord and embracing Christ is not some kind of half in, half out proposition. It's all in. Jesus said, pick up your cross to follow me. That means you lay your old life down. You give your life to me. I've given my life for you. Now you give me your life, your mind. I've purchased you. He's talking about a heart level commitment that is full and without compromise. Listen to, I want to quote Charles Spurgeon here on this particular verse. He has a way of putting things so forcefully. And I like his example here. I won't have this for you on the overhead because it's a little too much for one slide. But just just listen to this. Frequently complaints are made and surprise expressed by individuals who have never found a blessing rest upon anything that they have attempted to do in the service of God. I have been a Sunday school teacher for years, says one, and I have never seen any of my girls or boys converted. No, and the reason most likely is you have never been violent about it. You have never been compelled by the divine spirit to make up your mind that converted they should be and no stone should be be left unturned until they were. You have never been brought by the Spirit to such a passion that you have said, I cannot live unless God bless me. I cannot exist 
unless I see some of these children saved. Then, falling on your knees in agony of prayer and putting forth afterwards your trust with the same intensity toward heaven, you would never have been disappointed. For the violent take it by force. You get the spirit of what Jesus is saying. This is an all-in proposition. This is a life and death uh, at stake. My grandfather, as he was getting older, he used to have a saying. He would talk to me. I was still just a young man. He would say, Richard, getting old is not for sissies. His body was starting to have problems and health issues and surgeries. And church, I want to tell you, Christianity is not for sissies. Christianity is not for the weak of heart. Christianity is for the sincere of heart. Christianity is for those that want all that God has and are willing to lay hold of that. Now, it all comes to us by grace. We earn nothing from the Lord, but he does require sincerity. He does require hearts that come after him in faith. Don't give up. Don't let discouragement, don't let confusion, doubt dissuade you. Don't give up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Keep in there. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. There's a harvest coming that will be worth it. Don't sacrifice the things that you know for the questions you don't know. Give the Lord opportunity to, to bring you through the full experience of what He has for you. And in time you're going to see that I believe just as John the Baptist saw, there's great blessing for faithfulness in him. I'll close with this final verse. John 16:33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus tells us that in the world we're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? Did he overcome the world by by some successful financial plan where he was able to really live a long and prosperous life on the earth? Jesus was crucified before he was 35 years old. How did he overcome the world? He overcame the world by dying on the cross for the sins of men and being buried and raised in glory on the third day. That's how he overcame the world. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. And the overcoming victory that you and I can be encouraged and and be of good cheer is that he has promised eternal life for all his followers, all those who would believe on him. That's your cheer. That's your confidence. That's your encouragement. Not not the, the, the quick answer to my troubled circumstance. Although God asks us to cast all our cares upon him and he will work in today's circumstance. But the ultimate confidence, the ultimate good cheer comes from knowing that God has overcome it all. That, that in time and I and you know that time comes faster than you think in time. All will be well. In time, I'll have no regrets for having trusted him. There will be great blessing. Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this example today of John the Baptist. We recognize today that 
as wonderful a servant and man of God that he was, he too was affected by the trials and difficulties of his life and ministry. And Lord, in one sense, this encourages us because we know that we wrestle with those same things. And if John the Baptist wrestled, Lord, then surely we will wrestle as well. But we're encouraged to know that today, John the Baptist is not wrestling or worried about anything. He's with you in glory. And so, God, that, that's our hope and confidence today as well. Give us the grace to trust you. Give us the strength that we need to walk through the things that you have put before us today. And as our heads are bowed today and we close today in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you need to respond to the word of the Lord. It may be that you're here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. You know about Jesus, but you've never really come to him as the one. The one who died on the cross for your sin. And you realize today that you need that Savior in your life. And you want to turn from the way you're living and give your life to him and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. I'd love to pray for you if that's your heart today. Maybe you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe through these trying circumstances, doubt and confusion have overwhelmed you. And you find yourself today not living in faith, not walking close to the Lord. You've drifted away from God. But now the Lord is speaking to you speaking to you, and he's saying, come back, Re- recommit your heart to me. Take hold of me again with all your heart. Trust me. I do love you. I do have a plan. I am working in your life. And maybe you're here today and you, you need to recommit your heart to him. I'd love to pray for you as well. If you're here today, you need to receive Jesus for the very first time or you want to rededicate, recommit your life to him. I would ask you to raise your hand where you're seated. Let me see you and I'll pray for you. God bless you. Number of hands here in the center section. On the right as well. God bless you. Any others? Lord, speaking to your heart, you need this prayer. You need to give your life to the Lord. Give your life back to the Lord. On my right, God bless you. You as well. The back, very good. God bless you. Any others? Lord speaking to you. You know you need him. You need to get your heart right today. Today is the day of salvation. You have questions. There's things you don't know. But there are some things today that you do know. That he loves you. That he sent his son on the cross to die for your sins. That he has a beautiful, good future and hope for you. As you give your heart and life to him. Anyone else today? Just before I pray. Let me see your hand. God bless you. So Lord for these hearts responding to you today. I ask that you would meet them. Oh Jesus. In the power of your spirit. We would say in our own hearts. Lord as we we raise our hands to you. Jesus forgive me. Forgive me for my sin, not because I'm good or deserve it, but because you love me and because 
you paid the price for my sin when you died on the cross and rose again. I believe you love me. I believe that you you rose from the dead and are alive today to cleanse me and to forgive me. I'm turning from my way. I'm turning to you. I'm turning back to you. I'm coming to you, Jesus. You are the one. You are the one and the only one that can save. And so save us today to the uttermost, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.